Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What's up, folks? Outkick the culture. I'm Jason Martin, your host on Twitter at jmartoutkick. Email me, jmartclone at gmail.com. Love mail, hate mail, whatever. Whatever you got to do. So I've got an appointment this morning, so this is going to be a little bit of an abbreviated version of this podcast and I'm fighting off, at least I'm afraid I'm fighting off the start of a cold. But it didn't get worse yesterday from where it was on Wednesday, so maybe it quelled the tide. I didn't cough as much yesterday either, so maybe it's not actually going to happen. This could be a mirage. But there's really just a couple of things to talk about this week. We talked all about the Hollywood scandals last week. There's not really anything more to delve into. Al Franken's been added to the list. Obviously, the Roy Moore situation has happened. I think a lot of people forgot about Joss Whedon. And the stuff that came out from his wife months and months back. Uh, But it was a little bit different. But it was still a man in power treating his wife in this case very unfortunately. And there's been a lot of people that have tweeted out, let's just rebuild the entire universe with women at the center of it. Look, that's fine as a take or whatever. But let's make no mistake here. There's a lot of good dudes out there as well. They're not all dirtbags just because a few people in Hollywood and probably more than a few have abused their power. But that's not some widespread problem in modern society. I think you put whoever could do the best job in whatever job that is, whether it's politics or culture or entertainment or whatever. When we see female directors, that's great. Catherine Bigelow pops onto the scene. That's awesome. We see Unreal and One Mississippi and some of these other shows where you see women in really serious roles behind the camera. you got Michelle McLaren being just an unbelievable director. There's so many women that have a lot of talent, and we are starting to see more of an opportunity for them. And I will say that now is a good opportunity to look out there and expand your search. But again, you bring in the person that's going to do the best job, regardless of whatever they match on some kind of a qualification survey in terms of what gender they are, race, or whatever like that. I don't buy into, you have to have this many of this, and this many of this, and this many of this, and this many of this. Diversity needs to be in the mind. It doesn't need to be on some sheet where we're tallying up how many of each need to be on this set at this time. So that tweet and that comment annoyed me to some extent that let's just just vote in a lot more women. I'm certainly all for that if they're the ones that are most qualified and they're the ones on the ballot. Maybe this will encourage more to get involved because the space opens up for them somewhat. But just taken on its face, look, there's a lot of dirtbag women out there too. Let's not be completely flippant about this and let's not overlook the obvious. Dirtbag does not stop at gender. Dirtbag is dirtbag. And I said last week that there were people tweeting out and talking about I'm worried about me and what they're going to say about me next. And yeah, it is certainly something that you have to worry about if you've groped a woman or you've sexually harassed her. Now, some of the things that are deemed sexual assault or rape or things like that that you'll see in 
Rolling Stone from time to time and things like that. And the one in four women have been raped in their life based on all these new ways in which you can be manipulated into sex. Even if you consent, you can't consent in this case. And if you change your mind, all if you change your mind after the fact, like after it's done two years down the road, you're like, you know, I really wish I hadn't done that. That can now be construed as some kind of sexual assault. We're definitely going down a dangerous slope if we're going there. But in general, what we've seen in all these allegations is heinous stuff, and it's stuff that's completely unacceptable. And none of the guys that did it at the time could have possibly believed what they were doing was okay. At the very worst, their moral compass, their conscience, had to be telling them, you know, this might be a little sketchy what you're involved in right now. Usually when that voice hits, that's when you're supposed to listen. Because if you think it might be wrong, you should always operate on the side that it is wrong, honestly. Because you'd much rather cost yourself something that turns out not to be the end of the world than do something that does turn out to be the end of the world or the end of your career. And that's what we've seen. We've seen it with Louis C.K. We've seen it with Kevin Spacey. Looks like Al Franken. Roy Moore is having his issues, of course. And all the rest. Harvey Weinstein, obviously. And... Certainly other names are probably going to be coming out as well. It's just a really, really sad story. I am going to talk about This Is Us, which is also a really sad story, and it's a sad story because the writing is really going down the tubes, and this Kevin story is destroying us all, but we've got to talk Justice League, and that's the main topic today. DC needed this one to hit. I'm on record on this podcast and in print as saying this movie came out too fast. It should not have come out this year. You just had your first real victory. If you're DC, since Christopher Nolan stopped directing films, Man of Steel was sort of mediocre the way it was received. It was too long. The fight scenes at the end were just insanely too long. Zack Snyder overreached badly, even though we saw good things in Henry Cavill and Amy Adams is obviously good and Diane Lane and Kevin Costner. It was good, but it just went too long and it was too unfriendly in many respects. So you can't really call it a success. Obviously, Green Lantern was a disaster to the extent that they're still trying to find out how they can bring that character back, and they will have to reboot it, and hopefully they get it right, because what upset me so much about the Green Lantern film was how excited I was going into it, not because it was cast in it, but because I had been reading that comic. At the time, I was reading comics a lot more, learning that side of fiction, and I was reading Jeff John's run on Green Lantern from rebirth all the way through to the present, which was still going on at the time. And the run was great, and we were leading into Blackest Night, and there were so many things happening, the rise of Sinestro that made complete sense, and the Yellow Lanterns, and everything was rolling. It was the best comic on the market at the time, the best like mass market, if you don't want to include like some of the image stuff. I would say Invincible and the Walking Dead at that point was still really firing on all cylinders, and you had Brew Baker's Captain America run, which I thought was also superb. That was going on around the same time. Since we've gotten a little bit further away, the Daredevil run that was going on during that time also was very, very good. There were some talented things happening. There were some good things in the comic book space, but I would argue the Green Lantern comic was the one that I just could not wait to get to every month. Because unlike Grant Morrison, Jeff Johns didn't try to trick us and, and outsmart himself half the time. Grant Morrison's Batman run had its moments, but he was so interested in being obtuse that it made it hard to read. I don't need to feel like I need a concordance with my comic books. 
and sometimes felt like I was reading Tolstoy when I was six years old when I was trying to get through the machinations of what Grant Morrison was doing. But Green Lantern was just stellar at this point, and the film was an F rating. I mean, it was embarrassingly bad. I remember, I certainly wasn't a critic at the time, but I went to the midnight screening of that movie, and I had to fight back tears, proverbially, or proverbially at least, as I left the theater, because I was so disappointed in just how awful it was. And they still haven't been able to bring it back. Although, and you've probably seen this if you've read anything, there are some Green Lantern teases that occur in Justice League, and I'll leave it at that. But you had failure after failure. Suicide Squad was bad. Lego Batman you can't really give to DC, although it was awfully good. It was a great film that came out earlier this year. And then you get Wonder Woman. And Wonder Woman was awesome. Everybody pretty much universally agreed that Wonder Woman was very good, except the, for whatever reasons, the anti-feminist crowd and the ones that wanted it to be more, whatever. The ones that wanted to see politics in Wonder Woman may have had a problem with it, but the rest of us enjoyed a very good movie. And that's all that really matters. Gal Gadot was a revelation. She became the star DC needed to be able to base the universe on because Ben Affleck, we didn't even talk about Dawn of Justice, which was an atrocity. One of the most boring films I've ever seen. Zack Snyder did not do a good job with that. And honestly, when you go back through his canon, hasn't done a very good job in many of the things he's directed. That's a personal opinion. A lot of people might like him, but you know, you look at the 300, it worked pretty well, and then he kept that exact same style through every movie that he does. To me, he's basically a high-end Michael Bay, and I'm not sure it's all that high-end anymore. And we saw the same kinds of things within Justice League that we've seen in all the other things he's done. But Wonder Woman was undoubtedly good. So you get a victory, and it comes in the summer of this year. Reminds me kind of of Marvel and Iron Man. Robert Downey Jr., his film hits, and it hits, and people love it, and it's better than expected, and Favreau does a fantastic job, and now you've got a tentpole star to kind of build the Marvel Universe around, and Marvel, to its credit, followed up with a bunch of really good movies, but we didn't get the Avengers until we had seen a few of those movies first, so we had a chance to get to know those characters, whether it was Chris Evans in the first Avenger, or whether or not well, it was Ed Norton in The Incredible Hulk, which would then end up being Mark Ruffalo by the time the Avengers came out. And it was Chris Hemsworth. And it was, we knew these people. We didn't know all the sideline guys. We didn't necessarily know Jeremy Renner. And we didn't know Scarlett Johansson in terms of Hawkeye and Black Widow. But we knew those characters if we, look, if we read comics. But just the mainstream audience is what I'm talking about. Because most of the people that are going to see these things aren't necessarily big comic book readers. Because, newsflash, most of the country do not read comics. That's why you have to explain these things, and that's why you have to be invested in these characters. So Wonder Woman's really the first one to hit. You're already automatically invested in Superman and Batman because you know those characters from history. There have been so many films. Obviously, Nolan made Batman something special, the animated series as well. Even Dawn of Justice wasn't able to take Batman completely down. Superman, despite... Superman Returns and Man of Steel and Dawn of Justice, he's still Superman and people are going to gravitate to him when it's done correctly. The Flash, if you don't watch the CW show with Grant Gustin, which I really enjoyed, especially early in its run, you don't really know that character very well. You don't know Cyborg at all, unless you're a comic book reader. And Aquaman's always kind of been the joke of the DC Universe, even though when the New 52 launched, when they rebooted their entire DC Universe in comics, the Aquaman comic 
was among the best when that run first started. So he's had his moments, but Aquaman's not as easy to depict as some of the others. So you're bringing us in cold to meet a ragtag group of people that a lot of this audience is just relatively unfamiliar with. Maybe not as unfamiliar as they were with Guardians of the Galaxy, but part of that film's charm was in not knowing much about them walking in unless you were a hardcore comic book reader and letting the film kind of tell that story to you. So all that was a success. But Wonder Woman's only about five months old, five, six months old. And here we go with Justice League. DC has momentum. If Justice League comes out and stinks, you lose all the momentum that you gain from Wonder Woman, or at least a lot of it. And also, you've got Gal Gadot in Justice League, so if it's a disaster, it might stick to her a little bit. So what's the verdict on Justice League? Well, one is, I was right. The film came out too fast. We didn't need another DC film this year, unless it was going to be a standalone about one of the characters we would inevitably see in a Justice League film in the future. Is it the worst thing ever? No, it's not. I gave it a C-. There were things about it that I really liked, and things about it that I really didn't. The things that I really didn't are the things that most people are going to stick with their opinion, I I would believe. Ben Affleck's got to go, and he is done. You know, he had his problems with WB, and he's not a big fan anymore of DC, and rumors about him leaving and doing all these kinds of things. Dude's got to go. He's a terrible Bruce Wayne. He's dull. He's uninteresting. He's boring. I'm not an Affleck hater at all. I like him in a lot of other things. This just ain't one of them. It's a terrible casting choice, and the first hour of Justice League depends so much upon Bruce Wayne, and, well, honestly, the entire DC universe depends on Batman and Bruce Wayne, that for that character to be as bad as it is, the worst other than the villain, which is another problem I'm about to get to, that really hurts you because it's Bruce Wayne that puts the team together. So you're spending a lot of time with Affleck as Affleck in the first hour doing his Bruce Wayne, and it's just terribly uninteresting. I had to fight to stay awake in the first 45 to 50 minutes of this movie. Luckily, he gets with Gal Gadot relatively quickly, and when she's on the screen, you do want to see it. Not just for the obvious reasons, but because she's incredibly good in that role. It's just a, it's as good a casting move as Ben Affleck was a bad casting move. But the first hour of the film is largely very boring, which takes us to the villain, Steppenwolf. Steppenwolf is a lackey of larger villains in the DC universe. Usually in your first movie, you don't get the biggest villain because you build anticipation and you'll do a tease or something like that at the end of the movie that'll lead you to the second one. The Joker was not in Batman Begins, but we got the card at the end of Batman Begins to lead us there. That's par for the course you're building anticipation as people get more familiar with the character then you bring in people that they might know a little bit better and then they care because the stakes rise without you having to do too much work when you get to the sequel here they go with steppenwolf who sierran hines at least did the voice for and kind of did some cgi stuff over the top awful villain so awful in fact that i don't think at least just sitting here i'd have to do a little bit of research I am pretty positive it's the worst villain ever in a superhero film. Now, there have been bigger names, like bigger name villains in other superhero films where they've done a poor job, but in terms of expectation and execution, 
It's awful. Absolutely terrible. Steppenwolf is a hideously stock, just dull antagonist from start to finish. He's from Apocalypse. He's an alien military officer. He takes over worlds when he gets this power that kind of becomes the source of the film. Great. He looks a little bit like Ragnarok, but Ragnarok was actually entertaining, and he was barely even in that movie as he was a secondary villain in the Thor film that came out a few weeks ago, which was an awesome movie, by the way. Which leads you to another problem with Justice League, which is there've been a this has been a great year. 2017's been a great year for superhero films. Thor Ragnarok was excellent. Logan, which a lot of people forget, was exceptionally well done. Just a tremendous film. Guardians of the Galaxy 2 was very good. Lego Batman was great. Spider-Man Homecoming was excellent. Wonder Woman, which we already talked about, was excellent. Pretty much everything that came out this year in that genre was good. So Justice League didn't come in with an audience that was starved for this kind of content. It came in to face an audience that had already gotten a lot of good versions of these films all year. And this one flat out doesn't stand up. It's not terrible, but it's never great. It's merely good, even at its highest points. And most of the time, it's aight. That's how I described it. A-I-G-H-T. Aight. It exists for one storyline purpose, and because it releases today, and most of you haven't seen it yet, I'm not going to spoil that for you. But for the future, like, why would you do this film? What's the main story purpose of this? It's not about this villain. It's about one thing for the future. And you'll know what it is probably long before it happens. And it makes total sense, and it's good. And actually, once it happens, they do a nice job with that. The second hour of the movie is off. Well, I won't go so far as to say it's awfully good, but it's pretty good. Second hour is much better. There's chemistry between some of these characters. Ray Fisher's cyborg, when he is on screen with Ezra Miller's Barry Allen, The Flash, they have pretty good chemistry together. They're funny. They have this antagonistic but still kind of friendly relationship. I think Ezra Miller is the best newcomer that we see. I think Jason Momoa, who plays Aquaman, who you remember, of course, from Cal Drogo on Game of Thrones. You know, he's good. He steps in. He's got, he gives Aquaman a little bit of an attitude, and I think it works. He does a pretty good job. So those three are positives as we go forward. And Gal Gadot is still the star. And you can see she's the Tony Stark. Wonder Woman was never really the leader, but kind of is right now, even though there are bigger names than Wonder Woman on the DC roster that exist in this film and will exist in the future. None of them are big enough stars right now to supplant what Gal Gadot has become because of the rise of Wonder Woman and just how well that character plays and, well, how attractive she is on screen for those that are looking at it purely on the surface level, which I assure you I am not, although I do have eyes, so it's impossible not to see that as well. So Justice League, the first hour is a slog. I mean, a real slog. And the second hour is a basic superhero film with heroes versus villains. And then it ends, and you're left wondering you know, what the real gain here was it's going to make money 
The reviews have not been good, not just mine. Most of them have been harsher than mine. I really wanted to like it, and I came out just sort of being okay with it. I came out being glad I saw it for free. One thing I will tell you is stay till the end of the credits. The second post-credits scene, there are two, the second one that comes after all of the credits are done is at least close to the Samuel L. Jackson, Nick Fury reveal at the end of Iron Man, which is still kind of the, to me, the best one that we've ever seen because it was one of the first and it was just like, oh, here we go. And that's exactly how you feel when you get to the end of Justice League and they do what they do at the end. It's a perfect tease. It gets you excited about what could be in the future. But DC still has a problem that their films just aren't fun to watch in the way the Marvel films are. Some people can criticize the Marvel films for all kind of being the same and not necessarily having that much depth. But almost all of them are fun to watch. Even if it's one formula... That formula works, and they've brought in the right people. You finally have a Spider-Man that makes sense in Tom Holland, and you write him funny. And I would say Tom Holland and Ezra Miller are very comparable. I I really do want to see the Flash movie. I think the Flash is going to be very good for DC. Ezra Miller has that Tom Holland quality where he's sort of a nerd and sort of ridiculous and out of his place and awkward and still pretty funny, but he's got some charisma, and you root for him the entire time. And so I think that The Flash might be in good shape as they get to his film. The Aquaman film ought to be pretty good. I would imagine Momoa is somebody they definitely want to make a star because they know that they can market around him. So we'll see. And then the Cyborg character, you just don't know anything about Victor Stone. Ray Fisher does fine. He really does. And perhaps in the future, we'll see better things from him. Right now, it's just an unknown quantity in the eyes of, I would say, about 85 to 90% of the audience. Maybe more, honestly. I mean, that's not, I mean, Cyborg is just not a character most people are familiar with. But the DC films still just, they feel like drags. And that's something they've got to fix. This film was much lighter than the DC films that we've seen to this point. Except, I mean, Wonder Woman was fairly light. And it was certainly all hero and no villain. There was no shade of gray within Diana Prince, as there shouldn't be. There have been way too many shades of gray in the DC films where they're trying to give you this forlorn struggle and it backfires on them every time. This film was a lot lighter. There were some arguments early and then they kind of got together by the end. Hopefully they don't necessarily argue that much going forward because I think we've seen the end of people interested in seeing the shade of gray in their superhero films. Wonder Woman was a pure hero and it worked. Whenever there's another Superman film, he needs to be truth, justice in the American way. And based on everything you've read, that's what he's going to be. And that's exactly what Superman needs to be. Batman's the one that always has to brood and be dark, and that's fine. He's my favorite of all time, so they can do whatever they want as long as they don't put Ben Affleck in another one of these films. But Justice League is merely okay. It's the worst superhero film of the year, which again, in a year where they've all been very good on its surface, does not sound all that bad, but this one is definitely below all those films. Like, fairly significantly so. It's a C-. minus. It's a miss, although maybe almost foul-tipped it. So there you go. 
Justice League, you'll watch it. You can tweet me at jmartoutkick, and if you love it, tell me I'm wrong. My guess is you're not going to do that. I think there will be people that like this film. There will not be very many that love this film, except the hardest of the hardcores that can overlook every flaw in the universe in order to get to their conclusion. Now let's talk about This Is Us here, at least in this kind of truncated version of this podcast. The Kevin storyline is just hideous. This episode, number one, was the title, was all about Kevin, the first child, the first one to walk. And we saw him in the present and in the past. We saw the high school version of him as he got injured and found out he wasn't going to be able to play football anymore. He was lucky he was going to be able to walk again after treating the pit coach like utter garbage at the house and acting like a just real Massengill container. To the, to the extent that you're not really sympathetic for him when he gets hurt, honestly. And you're not sympathetic for the current Kevin either because the way he's acting is so absurd. I know time has passed on this show. More time than just the week that we have. Even in the present time on that show, more time has passed than what we see. The problem is our minds are seeing it week to week. We're, what, seven episodes into the season? Eight episodes into the season? Kevin's a full-blown pill addict. Full-blown painkiller addict. Full-blown alcoholic. Full-blown sphincter, basically, at this point. And it's terrible. It has nothing to do with the performance. Justin's doing a good job. But it's a terribly stock overdone storyline that we've seen in every drama since the beginning of time. I mean, even Jesse got hooked on speed on Saved by the Bell. Remember, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I'm so scared. I'm scared right now, too. I'm scared about This Is Us. I'm scared that This Is Us is already running out of foundational ideas on which to build its show. Because we are already crossing the Rubicon here, folks. There's not much left. We're going to have to start retreading. This show feels like they think they have to write A-level stories with twist after twist after twist and trick after trick after trick and play all the hits before intermission. This is you going to see, I don't know, I'm trying to think of a music act where this would really fit, where there's enough hits that you could play them in the first half of a long show. But just, just think of your favorite musical act. Think about going to see them. And you know what? Don't think of your favorite musical act. Think of the one that you like the hits, but you're not really a big fan of a lot of the other stuff on the albums. So you go and buy the greatest hits record. Here's an example for older folks. Think of the Steve Miller Band. Everybody had Steve Miller Band greatest hits in high school. Everybody's listening to the Joker and... Fly Like an Eagle, Big Old Jet Airliner, all that stuff. Let's say he played the entire Greatest Hits record and then came back out and played B-sides. That ain't going to work. And that's what we've got with This Is Us. We're playing all the hits. William Hill is dead. And now we've got, look, the pill addiction storyline's like a season five, we're starting to run out of ideas kind of angle. The start of season two, my man is popping open a pill bottle and getting hooked on fentanyl. And Vicodin. What is going on? Are they afraid this show is going to be canceled over the Christmas holiday? Because I think they're wrong. I think this show's 
got a little bit of juice left in it. Probably several years worth, especially on NBC that has a hard time getting hits. Slow down. Even if Kevin was going to become a pill addict, let's watch that transpire over about two years in a very slow-moving, natural way where failures and just mistakes in his life and maybe losing Sophie from making some kind of dumb move leads him down the wrong path gradually. And we don't really even see it. We just notice changes in Hartley's personality as he's acting on screen and then... A year later, we finally understand that this dude's actually found a way to get himself hooked on pills. If you're going to do that angle, do it smart. They're doing it like they have a two-hour movie on after-school special, and they're trying to get it in before Judge Duty starts. And I don't get it. They're rushing through all of this stuff, and a lot of it is already starting to feel outlandish and even more manipulative than usual. So what's left for This Is Us to do except have one of them go to the moon or relocate the show to Mars? That's where we're headed. This show feels like the Fast and the Furious, but the Fast and the Furious can get away with it because the more outlandish it is, the better it is because it's just mindless entertainment anyway and you have fun watching them. And it really didn't get there until Fast Five when they decided to borrow from Ocean's Eleven and turn this thing into one of the most fun and entertaining franchises in all of film. This Is Us hasn't had Fast Five yet. They're still doing exactly the same stuff they've always done, but they've upped the ante so far that they're going to end up having to murder characters or get into, like, who knows, bestiality. I mean, there's not much left. Dude is a full-blown pill addict, and we're not even at the mid-season, but we're not even to Thanksgiving on this show. And my man's got his alternate timeline Troy and Abed beard rocking, which is not for a movie. It's just for this dark character. I told you, remember, we got to the first episode of the season, I told you, that Fogelman and some of the writers had kind of mentioned that Kevin was going to be going down a dark path this season. How much darker is it going to get unless he commits suicide? I mean, seriously. And we get to the end of the episode, and This Is Us goes full This Is Us. Kevin shows up at Randall's door, ready to admit to what's happened and ask for help. And he's cut off before he can say it, so that Randall can say that Kate's lost the baby. And now Kevin's not going to tell Randall and he's going to end up falling further into addiction because he's unable to say what needs to be said. And he has no one else to confide in, which gets me to one last point that I want to make. And it's this. Consider for a moment how much better the lives of these characters would be if they trusted one another And they had God in their lives. As a matter of fact, expand that further. Imagine how many misunderstandings, miscommunications, errors in judgment could be solved if the writers included a relationship with Christ into some of these shows. I'm not suggesting they should do that. I'm suggesting it's amazing how many of these things could be solved 
by that one addition. Justin Hartley is on the ground on his knees as Kevin Pearson saying, someone please help me. But he doesn't say, God help me. He doesn't look to the sky. It's just something I've noticed that when you watch these shows and you watch these characters that are falling into various states of disrepair, who are losing relationships in their lives and are truly spiraling, I think you can reflect it at least a little bit to your own life if you stop and just think, these guys are not alone and no one is willing to tell them. Religion's never been a big part of This Is Us, certainly on the show. But it's astonishing to me. And I think that with if they were to add that, they would also trust each other. Because the problem with This Is Us, in addition to the Kevin storyline and the speed, is that these three kids, Randall less than the other two, they are all so self-absorbed and so worried about how this is going to be perceived that they do not confide in one another as a family should. They bottle things up. Randall will go to Beth, which is good. But we know Kate can barely talk about Jack, and so can Kevin. The death of this man, of Jack Pearson, has affected these three children's lives in unimaginable ways, and it's like a decade old or more. And they still can't talk about it, and Kate is still watching football with his urn, and Randall seeing visions of him when he takes a hallucinogen in the woods. And Kevin can barely even mention his father's name when he goes back and thinks about it, even though he's basically the spitting image of him when it comes to the addictive personality. It's insane. The show is off the rails right now. The Kevin storyline, I see it and I want nothing to do with it. And it, this was an entire episode devoted to him, centered around that character. Next week's episode, number two, is all about Kate. And I would imagine will be about her miscarriage and what's happened in her relationship with Toby. My guess is it will be better than this week's. Not as good as one that completely focuses on Randall if they're going to do that. But right now, This Is Us, it's fair to say that the second season is already showing signs that this show is going to become unwatchably irritating a lot faster than people might have thought. Not me. I told you. The first season of This Is Us would likely be the best one when we got to the end. Just like Empire. You just felt at the end of the first season of Empire like it would never be that way again. That we'd seen the best. I feel like the same's true with This Is Us. There have been some highlights this year. They really have. But some of the ways in which they're writing right now indicates a lack of confidence in the future. Because they are not just playing the hits. They are bringing out the most trope, overdone, cheeseball-oriented, dramatic storylines on earth. And they're doing them in ways that would make days of our lives jealous. And I think This Is Us can be better, quite frankly. So that continues to be a concern. One final note before I get out of here so that I don't miss my appointment. Saw Margot Price last night at an event. I was invited to a Third Man Records Beats collaboration celebration party thing last night. First time I've been to the Third Man Blue Room. Kind of blew me away, honestly. 
a lot of people from the music industry in there. I, I, I was a little bit awkward. I felt out of place. I was able to make a friend in there and talk to her through most of the night. But Margot Price performed. She only did three songs. And she was just kind of hanging out in the room beforehand. I'm going to see her in Louisville in January. Talked before about country music and how I'm not the biggest fan, but the stuff that I like, I really like. Margot, I really, really like. Margot is, she sounds like June Cash. And watching her in a room that was probably not all that much bigger than what you would expect a large living room to be in this blue room. The acoustics in there and being able to hear her voice carry was among the best audio, just live audio, that's hit my ears in my entire life. And I can't wait to see her in January. Her album was All American Made. It came out about a month ago or so. One of the top five albums of the year. I'll tweet this out, but my top five albums of the year on my way out, as I told you, Courtney Barnett and Kurt Vile, a lot of sea lice is probably number one. The National, Sleep Well Beast is in there. The War on Drugs, A Deeper Understanding is just outrageously great, and you should all listen to that. I'm seeing them in December here in Nashville. Margot Price, All-American Made. Jason Isbell and the Nashville Sound, or Nashville... Jason Hisbell and 400 Unit. The album is called The Nashville Sound. And Spoon's Hot Thoughts. That might be six, but I'm getting them all in there. Those are my six. Of what I've heard, because you can't hear it all. And there's some other good stuff out there that would definitely be an honorable mention. Maybe I'll do a column about it or something like that. But Margot Price, if you like country that just sounds right, that has blues influence too, and she's got she's getting a little bit political. She's got a little bit of John Prine in her. And some of her politics are off, even in the songs that she's writing about. Her facts are wrong. This is not opinion by me. This is just pure fact. But if I stopped listening to artists that I disagreed with politically, I would not be able to listen to music. I would walk around in dead silence. So, again, I'm not going to be defined by my politics, nor is my entertainment. As long as they don't affect my morality and my judgment, I'm okay with it. Margot Price is fantastic. All American Made is something that if you have Apple Music or whatever you have, you should own it in some way, whether or not you buy it physically or what. Margot Price's record demands to be heard start to finish. You can hit it random. There's no song on it that's not good. None. She did three off it last night. It was fantastic. She's gorgeous. And she is such a star in the making. And to see her in a room with less than 100 people in this intimate setting is something I'm not soon to forget. I tweeted this out last night, and I'll leave you with this thought, and maybe you can find examples of this in your own life. I am so blessed, and some days it becomes more overt than others. It's always in the back of your mind, and you always know that you're blessed. Last night is one of those examples. I'm standing in this room. I'm not sure how I got got this invite or got on this list. I guess, you know, what I do in radio and culture and all this kind of stuff is led me to this place. But it was an email that kind of came out of the blue. But it was great. And I'm in that room, and I didn't feel as out of place once I was in there. And it was just a reminder that I was prepared for this moment, that I was was okay in this moment, and that I was blessed by this moment. None of this was done on my own ability. None at all. And the realization of that is so freeing. Because you've always got someone that you can hold gratitude for. And as Thanksgiving comes before we will do this again, maybe two weeks, honestly, because of the holiday. 
make sure that you don't just on Thursday sit down at the dinner table or at the lunch table and tell people what you're thankful for. Call them today. If you're thankful for them or things they've done in your life, call them today. Give them a gift tomorrow. Find them in June. Never wait for an occasion to show gratitude to others. Do it now. You would want that done to you. But it's not really about that. If you truly are thankful for something, tangible that you can touch or someone certainly that's in your life, that should be news you want to spread immediately. Food for thought for you. And listen to Margot Price this weekend. You will absolutely love that. I'm blessed. And I'm blessed by all of you and blessed that you guys take enough time to sit here and listen to me bloviate week after week, whether it's on the radio or whether or not it's on this podcast or whether or not you're reading my written word. One final note, people have been asking me about Mr. Robot Reviews. Yes, I know. I'm two episodes behind. Guess what? I haven't seen them yet. So I'm going to catch up and you will see those reviews pop up. It might be one big review of the last couple of episodes, which I did once else this season. Just kind of been inundated with other stuff that's been higher priority but I will get to it, and I apologize for that. Again, I'm blessed by all of you. Have a wonderful holiday. Be safe. Travel safe. Keep your eyes fixed upon where they should be fixed. Avoid the arguments at the dinner table that, in the grand scheme of things, mean nothing. Thanksgiving should be a day of smiles, a day of gratitude, and a day of really stopping to consider the blessings in all of our lives. Again, you guys are my blessings. I'll talk to you soon. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.